So most of the entries for the Halloween season this year has been mostly newer things or new-ish things, at least stuff within, you know, the last couple of years, except for uh, ABC's A Death, which kind of covered, you know, three different films over a couple of years. Uh, but this one is a bit of a, a bit of a callback. It's from 2012. Chained was something that came across my feed. I think it was either Instagram or TikTok, which is, you know, I kind of use those outlets sort of for that more than anything. I love watching the 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 many movie kind of accounts that put out all this interesting information. This film popped up in somebody's video and I thought I'd give it a shot because it's got uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in it, and I'm a big Vincent D'Onofrio fan. I feel like he is, uh, he can't be typecasted. He is a great actor, and pretty much everything he does is really good and very entertaining. So I wanted to give this a shot. This is some direct-to-video uh, film that sort of gets this feeling where it's kind of, it kind of gives you this uh, 12 Angry Men vibe where it sort of just takes place in one general area. Uh Chained is essentially about this serial killer who kidnaps a woman and her son, uh, and he's, like, uh, playing off to be a taxi driver, which essentially he sort of is because he still, like, makes money, but he's not, like, licensed. He just kind of has a taxi. So he kidnaps this mother and her son, and then he winds up kind of locking the son in the car while he drags the mother inside. Uh, presumably rapes her and kills her. We don't see it. We just hear the screams and the son kind of being, you know, drawn back by it all and scared and, you know, peeing his pants and all that stuff. So what the killer does is instead of killing the son, he keeps the son as a sort of house slave, chains him to the wall and essentially says, I see everything you do. I hear everything you do. We are going um, to be living together. You are going to do what I say, do what I do, what I tell you to do. You're going to clean my house, make my breakfast, all this crazy shit. And at that point, the boy is nine years old. And so then this does a time jump where presumably the boy is about 17 or 18 years old. Now, the older version of the boy is played by Iman Farron, who, if most of you don't know that name, it's a very unique name. But he's from, like, uh, the Winchester uh, movie. Um, he's also in The Witcher. He plays... Uh, one of the soldiers of Nilfgaard in The Witcher. He's done a couple other movies, nothing that I can really think of off the top of my head, but those are the two things I recognized him from. And this is one of his really first roles. Like, around 2012, he had only had one or two other things of, of note at all before he started getting bigger roles and getting put into more television or films of that nature. Uh, it, uh, specifically in, like, the thriller kind of scary, like area essentially he's got a new film coming out called tim uh about like this ai robot that gets really obsessed over the wife of the couple he's you know being a, a robot for it looks kind of weird it's like bicentennial man if it was a horror film so it's weird um i'm, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit just because i want to kind of emphasize how when it comes to these two actors you got vincent d'onofrio and uh iman farron kind of being the only two on screen at the same time so I'm trying to give you a little bit of where, at this point, he hadn't come from anything. This was kind of this first kind of real experience within the film area. And he kind of really goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Vincent D'Onofrio when it comes to the performance they put on throughout this film. 
it's very unsettling at times because essentially what you see is you see that him as a boy for a little bit and then him as, you know, a young teenager as he watches this man kind of drag women into his house, essentially rape them and then murder them. And then he buries them like in the crawl space. And so he sort of forces this boy into that world with him. And then eventually he gets older and he starts being like, oh, I want you to now be better than just a man chained to the wall. It's it's kind of crazy, but it's really interesting to see that that would be how a person in this kind of predicament might think. They don't necessarily see anything wrong with what they're doing. And now here they are sort of pseudo brainwashing this kid they kidnapped into thinking that it's okay and to follow in their footsteps to be the next serial killer you know to kind of take up the family name you know he eventually starts calling him son and he's like i'm not your son and it's just it's it's a really it's really a dark tone where you see that there's sort of playing over this idea of almost like henry portrait of a serial killer very nonchalantly talking about how he just likes murdering women and how they deserve it and how he's trying to teach him how the human anatomy works and he learns about it because what else can you do you change to the wall all day so the movie progresses through and you kind of see him really try to push this idea of that father-son bond because it also starts showing flashbacks of when he was younger and him and his little brother had an abusive father who at one point was so like out of his mind that he to to prove to him as a teenager he forced him to have sex with his mother and that's kind of led him down this path of being psychotic to the point where th- th- this is all he knows so in without trying to say that they're building sympathy for him as a character what they're trying to do is build this backstory of how he had a shitty father figure and because he had a shitty father figure he doesn't know what a good father figure is because he was there to kind of defend him and his brother and even sort of his mother but they were all like weak to it and that's kind of how he grew up I would have liked a scene that like that showed him also killing his father because they don't really end that they just kind of leave it as this sort of um, just piece of backstory that you're meant to know about the serial killer and they just leave it be. So as he's trying to build this father son bond, he's like, you must know the touch of a woman. So he brings him a yearbook and then he's like, pick one, you know, like it's fucking like he's picking beds at an Ikea folder. So he tells him to pick one and he reluctantly with his help, he picks one of the girls and then the girls, the girl comes back to the house with them And essentially he like locks them in a room and says, you do what has to be done or I will. And you are led to believe that, you know, the boy sort of does it. And then you see him kind of like get this like taste and he comes out and he says, you know, I want to, I want to have my first hunt now. So he puts him in the car. Now, granted, he was kidnapped when he was nine years old. And we're talking about he's 17, 18 at this point, maybe 19. And he takes him out in the car from that house For the first time in nine years, the first time in nine years, he's released out into the world with him. Of course, obviously, they're in a car together and he's just sort of explaining to him how, like, you are going to pick your your first kill and you're going to get used to it and you're going to, you know, have a type where that's the one you always go for. And, you know, 
really just kind of sitting there like admiring the entirety of it until eventually it stops um they have to stop at like um off the side of the road because some cops drive by and they happen to stop in front of a, a piece of reflective glass or a mirror of some kind almost like a bus stop and he sees on the side of the door that the kid before he got in the car wrote the word help so he beats the shit out of him and drives him back to the house where he then learns that the girl he was supposed to have raped and killed in his name, he actually didn't rape and kill her. So then he goes to try to get the job done because you never leave the quote-unquote whores alive because that's what they were born to do, be whores and get murdered. He says that in the film. He goes to finish it off. The boy is able to kind of snap out of it, gets a crowbar, breaks back into the house, and they sort of overpower him and they wind up killing him. So essentially you think there's a sort of freedom. Now I'm going to spoil the ending because we're talking about a movie that's a decade old. And if you haven't seen it, you totally should. If you don't want to know what the ending is, it, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a really great, bizarre twist of an ending. I was, I was expecting the half I'm going to say, and I wasn't expecting the other half. Essentially, I was expecting what happened to the... Um, to the serial killer, that he was going to let his guard down, this boy was eventually going to get the upper hand of him, had this girl kind of back him up, and essentially she would be the one that survives while he kills the serial killer. But the movie doesn't end there. If you don't want to know the rest of it, I would say stop now, and if you're interested, go find this movie and watch it. Okay, you've been warned. So, after that, he is now free. So what he does is he goes to find his father, who has since remarried, has a new son, blah, blah, blah. They, uh, he gets to the house, they open the door, and there's kind of this lackluster meeting between him and his father where you kind of feel like, you know, maybe he's a little in shock, but it seems like he's not too pleased about seeing his son, which is odd because his son has been missing for like 10 years. And so they walk in and then the son pulls out a letter, which basically is a statement saying, hey, kidnap my wife and kid for me. Here's a check. Essentially, this father paid the serial killer to kidnap and murder his wife and kid. But the serial killer couldn't murder the kid, so he kept them as a slave. The other point is this the father of this boy who was kidnapped is the brother of the serial killer. The flashback you see, there's a younger brother who doesn't get a lot of the abuse. It's mostly the older brother who turns out to be the serial killer and the mother. So the younger brother is kind of experiencing all this as well. And they don't really show a lot of him because it's sort of not expected to happen. But he's obviously known this kind of abuse because once he's called out on it, he starts shoving the boy, trying to push him out, trying to get him out of the house, telling him he never has, he never should come here again. The wife tries to defend him because she doesn't, she's oblivious, the new wife, to everything that's going on. And he starts kind of beating her and the boy's like, you know, all tough now because he killed a serial killer, cracks the father in the head with a, like a little mini statue or something and winds up killing him. And the mother's like, you have to go now, and essentially plays off the murder as if it, somebody broke into the house. So this kid went and murdered these two brothers, one being an uncle he never knew he had, and realizing that his father gave him up, told him to kidnap and take my son and my wife and get rid of them. For nine years, all he wanted was to get out of this place, 
just to just to discover that that to me is such a great twist to a film like this especially with the fact that it's still not over you then cut to him going back to the house mind you right after they winded up getting the upper hand on the serial killer we see on the little bed that the boy was sleeping on in like the kitchen is the girl who he saved so he goes back to the house and he kind of shuts the the garage door and then the movie ends on that but the interesting thing is that in the credits as they're rolling it's not like an ominous song it's sound effects of what sort of happens in the house and the pattern of those sound effects kind of match the pattern of the what the serial killer would do on a daily basis you know close the garage walk in the house drop his keys, open the fridge, grab a beer, open it, pull out a chair, sit down. You hear all of that while the credits are rolling. The credits are extremely quick because, you know, you're talking about a movie that doesn't leave a house for, you know, 90 of the uh, 100 minutes that it, that the film is that the film is in length. And so you hear that all in the background. So you're left to imagine, does the girl, you know, escape, essentially? Or does the boy now become this new serial killer because... You know, he's now completely fucked in the head. Mentally, he's destroyed. So does he now become that or is that him kind of just this is all he knows because he saw this man do it for 10 years straight. And now he's kind of just mimicking it and he might not kill the girl. You're never told. You're just left kind of wondering what happens. And to me, that's a really good ending to a film that's that much of a I don't want to say a slow burn, but it's very methodically paced with all of the right ups and downs that don't get you too overexcited, just enough to kind of keep you interested to the point where you need to know what's happening next and you need to kind of see where it's going to go and how it's going to end because all you want is the kid to get free. And sometimes you think it might happen. Sometimes you think he's too he, he's too gone. You know, he's too far gone. Because they show scenes of, like, him washing the serial killer and, and cleaning the bloodstains off the floor of the room he murders these girls in. It's a crazy film, start to finish, and it's totally worth watching. If you listened all the way through and it kind of spoiled for you, it's still worth watching because even my explanation of it doesn't do it justice to how good this film is. The upsetting part is that it's written and directed by uh, Jennifer Lynch, who I've never heard of before, and essentially she's only done four movies in her career. The first one was back in like 93, which I've never heard of. Then she did two more, one in 2008, uh, that I also have never heard of. And then one in 2010 that she apparently disowned in a way for like for some reason that she just doesn't want this film and now chained after chained. She kind of left films and just went straight to TV where she did like a couple episodes of the walking dead, a couple episodes of uh, once upon a time, some episodes of teen wolf, some episodes of criminal minds. Like she's all over the place in television now for some reason. I don't know why, because this film is extremely well-written and totally, totally worth sitting through. I actually think, if I read correctly, she does a cameo uh, in this film as somebody. Who she is, I don't know. But this was a really, really, like, unexpectedly good movie that I really just took a chance on from, like, a TikTok video or an Instagram reel or something like that. And if you've never heard of this, you totally have to sit through it.